Good morning, Saints at Refuge. All right. You can uh, turn in your Bible to Ephesians 2. Um, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Some sense it's going to feel like a, a repeat or rehearsal because we already did that passage when we were going through uh, Christ Local, our annual vision series. And so, uh, yeah, this is uh, it's a bitter sweet moment for me, um, you know, in the sense that um, I'm going to miss being a part of this church. We love the saints here. We love Dayton. Um, and we're going to miss you all very dearly. Uh, so this is our kind of final two Sundays. Uh, so Amy uh, will be here next week with me. Um, and uh, yeah, just love you guys. So that's certainly the bitter part. Um, the sweet part is, is that God's called us to plant another church, uh, and, uh, we get to spread the gospel and that you're a part of that. Like you're, as Pastor Matt just said earlier, like you're sending us. We're not leaving. You're sending us. Like we're going with your blessing, uh, and your support and your affirmation. And so we're all a part of this. This is not just something the popes are setting out to do or I'm just doing. This is something Refuge Church is doing to help advance the gospel. And so uh, that's beautiful. Uh, and so thank you for being a part of that with us. Um, and uh, we're, we're starting a, a an annual event um, that before I stepped down as an elder here, one of the things that we worked on together was this this project of the idea of the sanctity of life, the sanctity of human life, um, that uh, in a sense we're joining a national movement here across the country that there are many churches that take the beginning of January to talk about the sanctity of life. In a way, a lot of that started was talking about abortion, um, that we want to see that abolished in our country. We want to see the unborn, um, you know, protected, uh, and, and those kinds of things. And as we prayed and talked about that as elders, this is certainly an important point, but that's not the only point when you think about the theology of the sanctity of life. Um, that kind of the phrase we kind of talked around or, or kind of tossed around among the eldership was from the womb to the tomb. That if we say we care about human life in the womb, then we also should care about it outside of the womb. Uh, and so really, uh, that's the aim of this annual event <clears throat> is to pray with the rest of the country that all life, both in the womb and the tomb, would be of value. It would be it's a value to God. And so it should be a value to us as human beings. Uh, and so one of the aspects of that that I'm going to talk about today uh, that's really exciting for me because it's the first time I've ever got to talk about it. Even uh, we, even before the merger, I never got the chance to talk about this at Refuge uh, City Church uh, and certainly not at Refuge Church, but uh, it's going to talk about racism. Uh, it's a big passion of mine. Uh, some of you know that, you know, I'm, I'm half black and half white uh, and um, I grew up in an ethnically diverse family. Uh, and so it's it's certainly a big passion of mine. And so I'm excited to talk with you guys about it today from the scriptures. Uh, and as we look uh, around, uh, we we can see, especially in 2020, I mean, this is not going to be hard right, to <laughs> argue with you guys right uh, here, that in 2020, we have seen how much hostility is growing in our country, right? Certainly growing across the world. Uh, it's probably been growing for like past, you know, four, eight years uh, in our country, but it certainly hit a pinnacle in 2020. Things got really hot. OK, and so we know hostility is is in our world. 
right? Like we know there's tension between peoples. And this has trickled down to every level. That when we think about this idea of hostility, it affects your parenting. It affects your marriage. It affects your friendships. It affects your, your coworkers, right? Your working relationships. It, it affects um, your neighborhood. It affects your classmates if you're in school, right? It's just infiltrated every level of human existence hostility, right? Uh, and obviously today, our focus is not to kind of do a broad stroke of just hostility, but to talk about a specific type of hostility, which is ethnic hostility, right? And we're going to explore what do, what do we really mean by ethnic hostility by looking in the scriptures, Okay. But as we think about that, when we think about this broad idea of hostility, and then we think about ethnic hostility, there has to be a question that you ask yourself, that, the same question I would assume that I ask. Can there truly be peace between ethnic groups? Really? I mean, from what we've seen for 2020, can there really <laughs> be ever be peace between people, different skin colors, different backgrounds, different ethnicities? Can there really I mean, it, the way the world is moved, it doesn't always feel like it, does it? It doesn't feel like we're always moving in a, in a closer sense together. But this is what I would say, if you have a, a big idea to take home with you today, I think this is what the Apostle Paul wants to have us understand today, that if we truly want to heal ethnic hostility, then we must embrace Jesus Christ as the cure. If we truly want to heal Ethnic hostility, we must embrace Jesus Christ as the cure. It's not some other political system. It's not some other ideology. It is a person, Jesus Christ. He's it. He is the solution. He is the cure to ethnic hostility. So let's get into it. Now, before we look at verses 11 through 22, we have to kind of get this idea of what's happened in verses 1 through 10. Because some of you are going to want me to talk about verses, the ideas that are shared in 1 through 10. Uh, they say, well, John, we really got to go here first. I'm like, well, okay, I'm going to briefly go over that, but that's not what we're talking about today. <laughs> so verses 1 through 10, what Paul has done is he's talked about the hostility between us and God. Okay? That's what he's done. He's talked about the vertical hostility, right, in verses 1 through 10. So if you look at real, just real quickly, in verses uh, 1 through 3, right? You were dead in your trespasses and sin, which you once walked. Fall in the course of the, this world. Fall in the principality of the air. The spirit that's now at the work in the sons of disobedience, right? So hear this language of trespasses, sins, disobedience, carrying out the, the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. By nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's who we were, right? We were hostile toward God, right? We didn't like God. You know, whether that was overt or just kind of subtle in our hearts, whether you feel indifferent to God or you really just don't like them or don't like God, right? Uh, either way, there was some sense of hostility we had toward God. We, we, we were not at peace with him, okay? Uh, we were children of wrath that he had every right to pour out his wrath on us, but he chose to do that on his own son. If you skip down to verse 4, is that famous phrase, right, that every famous preacher is always highlight, but God, the most famous phrase in the Bible that's supposed to encourage Christians, but God, right? <laughs> you know, so God intervenes, God pursues peace with us, he is the first who takes the initiative, it's not us, God pursues us, and he makes peace with us, his enemies, right? So this is the foundation for Paul's theology of ethnic hostility. 
right? As he starts there, he starts vertical, and then he works his way out into horizontal hostility. How can we bring harmony? How can we bring peace now to one another? That's what we're going to address today. So, if, uh, so I covered the, the gospel stuff. Okay, got it. All right, now let's get down into the, uh, the nitty gritty. Okay, so. We look at verses 11 through 13 here, and we're going to first kind of examine what I call the problem of hostility, the problem of hostility. When, and when I say hostility, I remember the focus today is ethnic hostility, okay? Um, so really I'm saying the problem of ethnic hostility, so the problem of hostility. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth is your strangers to the covenant promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Jesus Christ, you once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So what's all this language about circumcision in here? What's this got to do with us, right? Well, you, you want to think of this language of the circumcision group and the uncircumcision group as a sense of ethnicity. That's what Paul's at one level trying to talk about. He's trying to establish here that, hey, the Jews and the Gentiles are not the same people. (laughs) They're different. They're two different ethnic groups, right? Uh, One had received God's divine law and revelation. Another group had not. And what was happening, what Paul was trying to highlight was, is that you had his group, the the ones who received divine revelation, the the circumcision group, had elevated themselves and say, well, we are God's people, we've got God's law, therefore, we're better than you. We've got God's moral code. Our laws are superior to your laws. Right? Certainly, at some level, that's true, right? (laughs) I mean, they've got God's law. God's law is superior to every other law. But it's not the intention of God's law is not for us to elevate ourselves above another group. So they're misusing God's law. And so what do you think the response of the other group is, of the Gentiles, right? Well, you think your laws are superior to us and we think you're a bunch of just, you know, uh, prideful or, you know, a bunch of shepherd or, you know, shepherd people out there and you got no king or whatever and you guys got these weird funky priest laws and sacrifices. Uh, and so they say, no, our laws are better than your laws. And we are the more superior group. You can think about this as the Greeks and the Romans come along and they think that they're the more superior group and uh, say, no, our laws and our Greek philosophy is better than you. And so the response of just going back and forth, this is how ethnic hostility begins is we take our culture, we take, that's what ethnicity is, it's a a culture, it's not just a skin color, it's an entire culture of values, music, the way we think about the world, like if, if you go to another country and you see some of the other things that they do in China or India or Brazil, you're gonna be like, man, you gotta do some weird stuff, right? Like I've traveled to some of the other places, like they don't have lines, right? Like you walk up, to McDonald's or something, right? You're standing there looking at the menu and somebody just come in front of you. You'd be like, hey, you know? And they're like, well, you need to get up there and make your food order. <laughs> you know, like, that's something we do here in America. It's not a written rule, but it's just kind of this little cultural thing that we do, right? Well, that doesn't exist in other countries. And so this is how ethnic hostility works, is we take something in our culture and we say, well, we're superior to you. Our laws are better than your laws. Our moral code is better than your moral code. And this is what was happening. This is what Paul's trying to highlight. 
And this is how the problem of ethnic hostility starts. As we take something that's really good about our culture, like these are good things about our culture. I like our culture. I like American culture. <laughs> okay. But I cannot take it and elevate it above the culture of someone else. And they can't do the same to us. And Paul's trying to highlight when you do this, you start to, it starts to lead to alienation, separation, division. When you take your culture and you try to impose it as the morally superior culture onto someone else. This is how the problem of hostility starts. There's an example of this uh, that I, <laughs> I give um, that my uh, used to be my youngest. Uh, I guess she's my uh, my third child now. That's what I'll call her. Yeah, Maris. Uh, you know, uh, this past year, not this school year, but the last school year was her, her first year of school. She was in preschool, right? And, uh, you know, our first two kids, uh, preschool went, went pretty well. You know, like we took them there. Uh, and it, it was always, you know, Abby was super excited. Abby's an extrovert. So she was just like, hey, new friends, you know, <laughs> you know, my, my Jay and, uh, Maris are more introverted. And so Jay had, you know, a couple rough weeks there. He's crying almost every day. I drop him off and I had to pray with him and console him and help him get through. But about two weeks, he settled in and made some friends and he, he was good. Maris, it, it, it took a long time. It was almost like the entire first quarter. She would cry every day, just unconsolably. Right. And so as I'm like watching this as her father, as her parent, I'm, I'm, I'm walking in there and I'm just and I'm noticing, OK, why is she having such a hard time adjusting? Right. Like Jay did. I mean, Jay's introverted. He's shy. And like, what, what's what's making it so tough for Maris? Right. And, and as I drop her off, I'm starting to, you know, my sensories are going up. My type six personality is going up. And, you know, I am I'm, I'm starting to notice all these little details like, wait a minute, the room's not very well lit. Um, it's a very dark room. Like every room we've gone into, the fluorescent lights are on, it's bright. And so it's like, okay, maybe she's scared because it's dark, right? Uh, I also start to notice that it's, it's a bit chaotic in there, right? Uh, that there's coats all over the floor that people are not hanging them up in their cubbies and the backpacks are kind of on the floor and, you know, and uh, all the kind of kids are just kind of, they're all crying, really, pretty much. <laughs> the entire classroom is crying. Uh, and they're all just kind of moving around and they're not kind of like sitting in a circle or sitting down for breakfast or it just doesn't feel very orderly, right? And so Amy and I are like talking about this at night and we're praying together about this and we're like, maybe we got to change her, change classrooms. Like maybe we got to like move her out, Okay. And as I'm reading this passage, you know, thinking about this, this issue, there's something the Lord brought to our attention through prayer and conversation was, is that this, uh, this teacher uh, of Maris's was, did not grow up in America. She grew up in Puerto Rico. Um, and as I started to think about it from her perspective, um, I said, well, maybe she's not turning the lights on because she doesn't want to be a consumeristic, wasteful American who's just keeping her lights on all the time, <laughs> right? And trying to use natural light to light up her room and not using the fluorescent lights. I said, okay, but that's fair. Like, I wouldn't do it that way, but, you know, that's something, <laughs> right? And then I start to, to notice about, right toward, we're getting toward the end of the first quarter, uh, I start to notice that all the kids gather around her every day and they're all crying together around her, right? And they want to sit in her lap and they want her to read stories to them. And, uh, and she was less focused on the mechanism of my child. She's a product that goes down through an assembly line. And she was more focused on building a community, that they were all suffering together. 
that they were all going through this first year of, you know, uh, pre-K together. And it started to notice that it did become a more jovial kind of like heart, you know, tight knit community. Uh, by the end of the first quarter, they were all coming in and, and Maris is starting to get hugs from every kid in the room, you know, like, Maris, you know, <laughs> like, and I was like, okay, wait a minute. So there's maybe something culturally here that she's trying to implement in from her culture and the way that she teaches that's just different from the American culture, right? And it's not that, hey, one's bad and or one's right and one's wrong. It's they're just different. And she's got a different agenda. She's got different goals that are part of her ethnicity, a part of her culture. And I, who am I as the, the rich American to come in and say, oh, my way is better, or why don't you do it like all the other American teachers, right? This is an example of how this can really impact and start to affect the way that we think about practical things in the world. So we've looked at the problem of hostility. Now let's look at the complexity of hostility, the complexity of hostility. So look with me again in verse 12. It says, remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, alienated, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. And skip down with me to verse 14. For he himself is our peace who has brought us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God and to one another through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So, ask yourself, okay, what does it mean to be a stranger? an alien, to be separated. What is this wall of hostility? Well, at one level, we've talked about it, right? It's the, the first level is we take our moral code from our ethnic group and we above, elevate it above the other. But I want, I want to help you understand just how complex, that, that, that's just the beginning, guys. Like understanding that, some of you may be like, oh man, that's a big takeaway. Thanks, John. Like, well, that's just, that's just me scratching the surface, guy. Right? Like, that's just describing first the beginnings of the problem. Let me explain to you how complex this gets. Okay? And I want to do this by, by illustrating this to you. Okay? Let's just do a little kind of historical social experiment. Alright? If we had a lighter skinned person who walked in and they had a certain hair color, they talked a certain way, and they dressed a certain way, and you look them up and down, right? And let's just say this person is Irish, okay? And they walked into our church, right? And you listened to them, and, you know, we're we're Americans, right? And we listened to them, they got a funny little accent, we look at their hair, we look at the way they dress, maybe they're drinking some tea or something, I don't know, eating some crumpets, I, I don't know what Irish people do. Um, but we do that, and we say, you kind of sound funny. Where are you from? England? Is the Irish man going to be offended? Yes. Okay, let, now let's let's just assume we do the, the same process, okay? That an Englishman walks into our church. And we do the same process. We look him up and down, we look at his hair, we look at his skin color, we look at you know the way he dresses, we listen to the way he talks, we he's eating his tea and crumpets too, and whatever else he does. And we say, What are you? Well, well, well you sound a little funny. What are you, Scottish? Is he gonna be offended? Yep. 
Okay, the Scott comes in, right? And he's got the full Celt on. No, no, he's not going to do that. I'm just kidding. Uh, but he comes in and he's he's got, you know, we do the same process. And we say, what are you, Australian? Is he going to be offended? Yes. Okay, now I just described three people, three people groups, three ethnic groups that have the same skin color. They're literally from the same island, okay? And they have thousands of years of hating each other. Hating each other. Can't stand one another. Rooted in rich history <laughs> of one group elevating itself above the rest of the group. I mean, this even, as more I've dug into some of this history even of the, the, the uh, British, Irish, and Scottish, it's even made its way here into America. And so it's, it's not a, it's not a coincidence that the majority of the Irish and the, the Scottish who migrated here migrated south. <laughs> and the majority of the upper nobility English migrated north. Right? And just think about our heritage. Is there southern and northern hostility be, between, uh, in our country? Yes. <laughs> like this came even over here, guys. But yet we think Oh, when we talk about ethnic hostility, when we talk about racism, we're talking merely just about skin color in our country. Friends, it's more complicated than just skin color. <laughs> like one of the complications that's hard, that's been hard for us Americans to get is that America really doesn't have an ethnic identity. <laughs> we're just a melting pot. <laughs> like we've lost a lot of our ethnic identity. Instead, we just call it white and black. Did uh, some research not too long ago during the midst of the, the pandemic. You know, I have nothing else to do, so I do a lot of research, right? So a lot of reading. Friends, I'm not going to do this today, but go look up sometime where these terms white and black came from. It will disgust you. It is rooted in systemic racism. It was an intentional effort put together during the Atlantic slave trade, to keep people divided. I don't even like using those terms anymore because I know where they come from. They're just got, because look, <laughs> put it this way. Are you white? Any of you in this room? Like, uh, like, like physically the color? White. No, you're not. You're more like peach, right? You know any person who's actually black? Like the actual color black? No. I love like hearing my kids talk about it. They're like, oh, you know. They'll, they'll say, uh, you know, Papa, Abby and I are tan. And I'll say, yeah, you're right. And they say, but not Maris. No, she's more like Peach. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know, they've got a more accurate description than this term white and black, right? Go look that up sometime. Okay, so just this is what it means when it's it's saying alienated strangers, right, separated, that we have to start digging into where do these separations, these alienations, these um, stranger ideas come from? What does it really mean to be an alien? What does it really mean to be a stranger? What does it really mean to be separated? 
And I'm telling you, it's more complicated than just skin color. You've got to really dig deep into the roots of what's really going on here. I mean, I, 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 I'm an Ohio boy. Like I'm a Buckeye, right? And I, mean, I felt this when I moved in. I, I lived in North Carolina for seven years. I waited tables down there for, you know, all seven years, pretty much. And I had to literally change my speech patterns to get better tips. Because I thought I talked like a fast, swindling Yankee. I, I'm serious! <laughs> and as soon as I kind of slowed my dialect down, and my, my tips went up. And I'm like, oh, you know, he's not a swindling Yankee anymore. So, all right. I'm telling you guys, this, this stuff is complicated. It's not easy. And we really need to take the time and press into what does it really mean to be separated? Am I elevating my cultural upbringing above another person's cultural upbringing? What does it mean to be separated? What does it mean to be divided? What does it mean to, to feel? I, many of you, guests come into our church and they probably feel like an alien. Because we got a certain language. We got a certain culture. We got a certain way we talk. Right? But that doesn't mean we gotta, like, whitewash that away. Right? Just kind of all, we want everybody to be robots and be the same. No, that's not what we're looking for. But we have to embrace, okay, there are differences. Right? I've heard that. You know, people come in our church and like, yeah, hey, let's talk funny. <laughs> guys talking this, like, idol chart language. What is all that all about? Like, I don't understand that. It makes me feel weird. You guys sing weird songs. I mean, this is stuff I've heard from people coming to our church. I don't know these songs. They're used to K-Love, right? <laughs> the K-Love songs, right? Like They don't know our songs. we got to think about these things. Okay, so we've looked at the problem of hostility. We've looked at the complexity of hostility. Now let's consider the cure of hostility, the cure. Look of me again in verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances and may create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying here, simply put, if you want the cure, if you want peace between these ethnic groups, you need Christ. He's the peace. He's the one who breaks down the dividing wall of hostility. We find our identity in him. Right? Peace is not in a bank account. Peace is not in a house. It's not in a car. It's not how well behaved my children are or how well they're doing in school. Any place that we try to find peace outside of Christ That's not it. It will let you down. You will not find peace. You will not find healing. You will not find the cure for ethnic hostility in anything else but the person of Jesus Christ. It's not even a sense of inner calm. Oh, I just feel at peace. No, (laughs) it's not in a feeling. It's in a person. It's in Jesus. And look what he goes on. To say, skip down to verse uh, 19. So then there were no longer strangers and aliens, but we're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We're part of the same house. We're the same family. 
built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophet Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple into the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. And so he gives us three images here to describe to us what this cure looks like. He says that we're a new nation. Right. That's that citizens idea. Right. You think of a citizen, you think of a nation. We're a new family. That's the household language. We're a new temple, right? That's a new structure. So we do things a different way. We've got different familial values. And our kingdom, our citizenship, the laws that we do are going to look different than the world. And so we have to ask ourselves, does that describe Refuge Church? Are we different Do people see ethnic hostility, dividing walls coming down here, or do they see us building them up and keeping us divided from one another? Is this a place where a person of any ethnic group could come in and say, I feel a value here. I feel safe here. This is a refuge. Is this a safe place where the dividing walls of hostility are being torn down, that the Peace of Christ, the the security of Christ, the identity of Christ is what really governs who we are. Now, I want to give a clarification here because here's something that as someone who's talked about this issue a long time, I guess I've been born into this. Like some of you may know this about my family history. I mean, my grandfather was in the Ku Klux Klan, right? My mom marries, you know, an African-American male, right? I mean, that, that's how that's I was born into this hostility. OK, uh, this is not an is, easy issue. All right. Uh, in my family, I got an entire side of my family that told my mom to not come back to family reunions once they saw I had an afro. OK, this is not an easy issue. All right. So let, let me give you a, a couple key things here. You know, as we get ready to, to kind of close out, give a couple of application points that I think are, are helpful, important. Now, first, when we're talking about ethnic hostility and, you know, ethnic harmony, racial reconciliation, this is not what we mean. All right. Let me give you a little helpful or phrases I've heard over the years that are not helpful. All right. John, I just don't see skin color. Well, I got different skin color. How can you not see it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> These, this is not what we mean when we're saying ethnic harmony, racial reconciliation. These, these kind of conversations are not helpful. All right. Uh, I, I don't see different cultures. I just see one culture in Jesus. We're just the church. No, that's not biblical. <laughs> These are not biblical ideas, guys. These are you trying to figure it out on your own. Okay. Instead of pressing in to what do the scriptures say? I don't see different cultures. You know, I just see one. I see the Christian culture. Nope. No, no, no. Nope. Nope. Stop. This is not embracing the idea of Matthew 28. Go make disciples of all nations. That word nations is the Greek word ethne. It's where we get the term ethnic group from. Go make disciples of all nations. We see the embodiment of it, the beauty of it at the end of Revelation 5. Matt's just been preaching through Revelation. Get through Revelation 5 
And what does it say there? What are they doing before the throne? They're worshiping in him every tribe, tongue, people, language. God did not wipe out ethnic identity at the end. He redeemed it. He took the sin out of all of our cultures and brought the beauty of the gospel into them. Skin color doesn't go away. It's beautiful. So it's not helpful when we say, oh, I don't see your skin color. No, they say, I see your skin color and it's beautiful. It displays the diversity and beauty of God, that God is a beautiful painter. I don't see the, the lack of your culture. Teach me about your culture. Teach me about its food. Teach me about its customs. Because those are not going to necessarily be wiped away fully. They're going to be there in heaven. They'll be redeemed. We should learn to celebrate these things, value them, enjoy them, learn from one another. Humble ourselves and say, teach me, like help me understand. I recognize the divided wall. I recognize the hostility. I'm feeling that tension where you're doing something in your culture that makes me feel uncomfortable. But I don't want to do that. I want to learn to value it. Like my wife actually sent this sermon. I preached this sermon at another church to uh, Maris' school teacher. I was a nervous wreck because she did not check that over with me before I did that. But she was thankful. That I repented and saw the beauty of what she was trying to teach my daughter. I valued her culture instead of trying to elevate mine above hers. That the gospel should humble us before one another, make us teachable of every tribe, tongue, people, language, skin color, whatever. Because you can have people. <laughs> I have more, I have different skin color than most of you. But I pretty much have the same culture. Right? So I go to other parts of the world and they're like, oh, you're American. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I am. Because <laughs> I'm loud and I'm noxious. Right? I think I know it all. Right? I and mean, these are just how the rest of the world sees Americans. You know? <laughs> you know? So I, I, most of the time I just embrace it wherever I go. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm an American. I'm just loud and obnoxious. So teach me <laughs> how to not be that. Uh, so. Now, think about it this way, friends. I've never, Pastor Dave's adopted. We have some other people in the congregation who've adopted before. I've never adopted. But I've had some friends who've adopted and I've talked to them about it, you know, and said, hey, what was this like? One of the things that I know that they teach you when it comes to adoption is there's going to be a moment where a kid may say, "I, I look different than you, Right? And you've got to, at this point, not just say, no, you're just a part of our family. You're just one of us. That's not going to be helpful. We've got to acknowledge the differences. And then teach them, say, hey, here's maybe an aspect of your your culture that you lost, right? Like I I know of of people of lighter skin that have different hair. They've adopted people with darker skin and different hair. And they have to learn how to do their hair. (laughs) Because they don't know how to do it. They've got to read books and they got to go get help and say, okay, teach me how to do the hair (laughs) because I don't know uh, how to do the hair. Right? This is an example. So God, when he adopts us, because we're also adopted into God's family, he doesn't just wipe out our culture identity. He redeems it. He values it. He teaches us how to use it for his glory. Right? To make him beautiful. Right? That this is the way we, we, we've all been adopted into his family and, and that we keep our identity, our cultural, ethnic identity. And it's beautiful. 
God celebrates it with us. He says, let me teach you how to do that better. Let me teach you how to do that redemptively. Right, so four final implications, okay, to, four key takeaways that we could think as we, we process through, because we've processed through a lot so far, right? Number one, racism is not compatible with the Christian faith. You are a racist, you need to reevaluate whether or not you're a believer. It's incompatible. It, it does not make, it, it has no consistency with the Christian faith. Because if God values all of human life and you say you don't value all of human life, you've got a real problem. You've got to start asking yourself, do I serve the God of the Bible? Do I believe the God of the Bible? Okay? Because according to the scriptures, there are only two races in the entire world. Okay? There's the race of Adam and there's the race of Christ. That's it. One father. (laughs) We all share the same father. Now, some of us have been born again. We've been adopted into God's family, right? So there are certainly we get a new nature in that, right? So we're not like the world. We're not like the sons of disobedience or the rest of mankind. We have been born again. We are a different race. Okay? So racism is incompatible with the Christian faith. It makes no sense. Number two. Our Christian identity must govern our ethnic identity. I cannot put more value into my ethnic identity. That's, I cannot put more value to into my American patriotism than I can to my Christian identity. I cannot put more value into my, my Irish heritage than I can my Christianity. I've got to let that be governed by the gospel. I've got to let that be governed by the scriptures. My Christian identity governs every other identity. Third, I need to learn to value what God values. If God values different skin colors, if God values different ethnic groups, then I need to learn to value them. Why did God make this culture this way? Why did God make this hair this way? Why did God make this skin color this way? What is God trying to show me? What is God trying to teach me? I need to humble myself before the Lord and let him teach me. Fourth. Peace. For ethnic hostility only comes through Jesus Christ. He is the cure. He tears down the dividing wall of hostility. He brings us together. He reshapes. He doesn't wipe away our ethnic identity. He reshapes it. He redeems it. He makes it pure and holy and righteous and good. And so we need his help. Both at a personal level and at a corporate level. The four practical implications, right? Racism is not compatible with the Christian faith. If I got any kind of hint of that, and we all do, okay? I hate to break the news to you. You're all tempted with racism. I know I am. Okay? If there are only two races, anytime you got, you don't got somebody you really don't like, you got, you kind of hate them, they get on your nerves, you're, you're skirting a line of racism. You're hating your own flesh and blood. Okay? Anytime. Alright? Despite skin color, culture, anytime you're doing that, you, you, you're skirting a line with racism. Okay? Number two, Christian identity governs my ethnic identity, right? 
or any identity really. I need to learn to value what God values. And number four, peace only comes through the person of Jesus Christ. He is the cure. Okay. So the band's going to make their way back up. And uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak about this with you guys. It's something I'm very passionate about. I want you to know we just scratched the surface on this issue. I'm expecting the elders and the members to talk about this moving forward. Okay? This is a complicated issue. It takes a lot of humility and time to really work through. I've been processing through this for, I mean, I'm 40 years old now. Like I said, I'm born into this and I'm still learning a lot about this issue. So it is overwhelming, friends. Okay? Um, and as we uh, deal with this issue, we need to just continue to press into Christ, humble ourselves before the Lord, and He will teach us. Okay? Humble ourselves before God and for our fellow brothers and sisters. And we'll learn. We'll grow. Okay? Let's do that together. Alright? So let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for the beauty that in which you created in this world. And there's so much diversity. There's different trees and there's different animals and there's different types of bodies of water. And there are different people. There are different cultures. There's different foods. There's different languages. And it's all beautiful. It certainly has sin in each and every one of them, but there is also beauty in them. So help us to learn to value them and to not elevate our culture above another, but to listen and learn. Because when we listen and learn and do that, we see more of you. And that's what we ultimately want. We want to know our God better. Father, there is so much hostility in our world. The more you even travel the world, you realize how complicated that is. So I'm thankful that you sent your son into the world to bring peace to those who are far off, to bring peace to those who are near, tearing down the dividing wall of hostility, showing us that we can have one spirit, one father. We can be reunited. Help us as Refuge Church to be the saints as Refuge Church to be go out and to be ministers of reconciliation. To continue this project that you have in tearing down the wall of hostility and bringing the nations together. Help us to be a part of that in intentional, purposeful ways. And I pray this in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.